Welcome to the JetRails podcast, supporting you through the airwaves with information about website and e-commerce technology and strategies. From design and development to security, marketing, conversion rate optimization, and web hosting, we bring you insights from industry leaders and experts. Hosted, edited, and published by me, Robert Rand, your friendly neighborhood tech ambassador. Hi, and welcome to an episode of the JetRails podcast. I'm Robert, your host, and today we're going to be talking about advertising your e-commerce website beyond the very common advertising networks and platforms, campaigns that can reach additional audience through additional mediums, help you to get to some of those niche users and mainstream users alike through different uh, places where they're going to hang out online and offline. And with us today, we've got a great guest. We have Adam from the Brief Bid team, who's going to be able to really dive into this one with us. So with no further ado, Adam, would you do the honor of introducing yourself? Certainly, Robert. Thank you. Uh, thanks so much for having me on. Um, I'm Adam. I uh, head up partnerships at BriefBid. Uh, we are a media marketplace that connects people that buy media, basically people that buy advertising, to people that sell media, media vendors, people that sell advertising and advertising space. And I always love to ask when it comes to tech companies, there's usually a story behind the name or not, <laughs> which is just as fun. Uh, would you happen to know how BriefBid got its name? Uh, yes, actually, the uh, one of my co-founders, uh, Lydia, she was English is actually her third language. And ultimately, she was working as a media seller. And she had to deal with media briefs all the time. And then she had to bid on those media briefs. Brief is essentially a request for um, an advertising strategy and an advertising inventory. Uh, it's like, hey, I need you to come sell me something. And then you get your brief and then you bid on it. So she's like, oh, our marketplace is called Brief bid, where a marketplace that facilitates the brief and the bid, it's brief bid. So I'm like, oh, that's super simple. Yeah. So that's uh, that's how it came to be. And kind of at its simplest, we kind of try to simplify the incredibly convoluted uh, media industry. And that's kind of how we approach it. It's just it's simply media briefs, media bids, buyers and sellers. Buyers want to buy advertising. Sellers want to sell advertising. And they get match made on our platform. It's kind of how it works. All right. So you're sort of the OK Cupid or chemistries of the advertising world. You're getting all these people connected. D- dating ourselves there. Yes, I'm the I'm the match.com. Plenty of fish. No, I uh, it's much more <laughs> like it's much more like a, like a Bumble model, actually, because uh, the, the buyer has to RFP first and then the seller can engage with the right proposal by being algorithmically matched. So, yeah, it's there you go. It's Bumble model. <laughs> that's pretty interesting. I, that should now be in all your pitch decks. I think that that's exactly uh, how you're going to approach the market from now on. <laughs> um, you're welcome, by the way. I do expect a royalty every time you do. I will uh, license it from you. Thank you. I, I uh, appreciate it. We'll get you a 0.1% licensing fee. Thanks. <laughs> uh, well. You know, I, I've seen office space. I know how those pennies can add up over time. <laughs> Next thing you know, you got to burn down the place. So. Got to burn it. Don't take my stapler. <laughs> There's a red stapler back there. And, you know, That's stories, stories. Uh, so, you know, getting maybe back uh, a little bit onto our topic of the day, you know, most online sellers, you know, most merchants, they're going to start off with Google, with Facebook, with Instagram, with traditional, what's, what are now traditional, right? You know, it doesn't take long to build a tradition. Uh, online advertising networks and platforms to engage with consumers and try to attract them 
uh, and uh, and to stay in front of them and bring them back and so forth. So lots of different steps in the journey when you might be trying to get in front of someone. But your team deals with a lot of what I'm going to refer to as alternative platforms, um, other places that may be, uh, may be better, um, may be more cost effective. I mean, there are a lot of boxes here that can be checked regarding, like, even if you think about, when, you know, which campaigns you'd run and Google versus Facebook versus something else, you know, that you already start to see that the landscape can be very different. So when you think about e-commerce, what are some of the platforms that you think of that merchants should be looking at? Um, it, it starts one step in the abstract and then two steps in the practical. So the one step in the abstract is, you know, there is a simplicity with which e-commerce brands can go to Facebook and go to Google uh, because their advertising platforms target the user base of those of those products and services in these Facebook and the social context via their social media applications uh, in, in Facebook and Instagram, sorry, Meta in Meta's context uh, and in Google's context, people at the point of search in a search engine when they're looking for a certain thing. So that that is how you that's kind of how you understand how those platforms. Sorry, Google for the most part in its search engine. Uh, you can also buy via Google Display Network, which is like digital ads. Um, but ultimately, you're you're buying advertising inventory for an audience at a certain point in, let's say, their customer journey. That's kind of how e-commerce brands should start, start to think in the abstract. And the too practical portion of it is something I try to take of take from like the FBI undercover, you know, uh, understanding of what what is the legend of this buyer? Like you're, you're you have a persona here that you're trying to target. What are they doing in their lives? That isn't just Google and Facebook, that they could be in a position to buy or in a buyer consideration, uh, as, as you might call it, um, where you could put something in front of them that they might be interested in. Um, the other part of the practicality of that is you can't A-B test without X testing. So you can't, you can't, ex you can't get a true understanding of your advertising revenue without a sort of experimentation. Um, and that informs the legend of the buyer persona that you've created. So you're trying to think. Oh, like where would my audience be for um, for what we call the open internet? That which is not Google, Facebook, or uh, or Amazon. You could be targeting um, buyers in digital out of home. You could be targeting them in gyms, and that's not a Google Display Network or a Facebook integrated advertising buy. That's a digital screen, maybe showing the news and your ad to people who are currently working out. If you want to sell them, uh, you know, new gym bags. Um, maybe you're selling some sort of dental product, teeth whitening agent. You want to sell point of care. So you're like, okay, I want to sell in dental offices and maybe doctor's offices. You're on those screens. And sometimes in your electronic health record, you're seeing an ad pop up saying like, hey, I can see that it's got a root canal. Want to wipe those teeth? Something to that effect, uh, which is, again, not a Facebook or Google integrated service. These are open internet uh, DSPs, demand-side platforms. I, I hear it's really good to advertise to people when they're still coming off the nitrous, by the way. I, I think that's probably a really good place. Anything. Yeah, no, it's... <laughs> yeah, fair enough. Which, great audience insight, right? You're like, do we want to advertise to them right after the nitrous or in the waiting room when they're a little bit, you know, on edge? Are we selling, like, a stress relief product or a fidget spinner? Maybe you put those in the dental office. Like, hey, the doctor's drill kind of getting you a little worried? Try a fidget spinner. You might just be able to Something to that effect. This is where uh, media strategy is very much about understanding where your users are or where your potential customers are, what they're doing, who they are, 
are they your mom? Are they your dad? Are they your weird Uncle Bill? Are they, you know, uh, a, a cohort of language speakers? You know, this is where ecom brands can kind of look beyond, not 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 in, instead of, but beyond Google, Facebook as part of their search or social media strategy and say, oh, where our users actually are. It's like, well, they like love reading Morning Brew. Okay, well, we should probably add at Morning Brew or try to connect with Morning, morning Brew type audiences. Um, or it's like, oh, they, uh, you know, 60% of our users work in a trade. Oh, we should probably go where trade publications are and then talk to people at the trades in the construction industry because they might very well be our customers for our product. You know, we sell a very durable pant. So, you know, things, things of that nature. Yeah, you know, I'm going to get back to a, a few of the individual network opportunities there because sure. I, I think it's it's particularly interesting. But let me ask you about cost, because one of the challenges that I've seen through the years, of, you know, when uh, when e-commerce was new, SEO was easy. There was no competition. Google ads were easy. There was no competition. You weren't bidding against anyone in particular, uh, you know, uh, or very few um, you know, different merchants. And so it, it was relatively easy and cost effective today, uh, depending on what you're selling, that can be a lot harder that the inventory uh, is being, you know, bidded up by lot or, you know, lots of other sellers. So do you find that some of these, uh, different networks, some of these campaigns can be more cost effective, um, aside from perhaps being more direct to a particular community? Uh, I mean, for for eyeball cost, yes. So, and by by that I mean, uh, when you look at a media buy, when you look at a media dollar, you have to consider the cost that actually goes towards putting your ad in front of your audience. The cost of bidding—it's called a second price auction, simple economic theory from the seventies and eighties—and the cost of all the other people bidding on that eyeball at the time. So that can be anywhere between ten. To fifteen percent, uh, and then ultimately the cost of the platform, which honestly, for Google's, Google's just released in a lawsuit that's usually to the tune of forty percent. They take a they take a, a cut off the top, so that means sixty percent of the dollar you just put into getting an eyeball, forty percent went away to pay Google platform, and then sixty percent is now competing with other bids for the same eyeball, and that range of your sixty percent now needs to be divided up between you beating your competitors and then the rest goes towards paying to get that eyeball. Um, and that's that's just the efficacy of, the efficacy of a dollar in, in the media spend. For other platforms that are open internet platforms or other GSPs or other ad tech providers, what they're doing is has a usually a higher upfront cost, usually what's called like a minimum spend. Um, but then ultimately, what you're getting is direct reporting on their first party data or their audience that they're saying, oh, we like we are very, very much incentivized to make sure that your campaign does well because you're shopping around. You're looking for where your audience could be. And if that is with us, we want to make sure your advertising is getting in front of your audience. So the higher upfront cost is usually what's more scary for e-com brands. But the long-term uh, amortized cost of that higher upfront can actually be more people seeing your brand other than what you might consider the low upfront cost of a, of a Google or Facebook or Amazon. But the higher scalability cost, just because you're going to be paying more and more dollars to try and beat out your competitors. And ultimately, you know, you're paying a 40% haircut on these large platforms because that's the, the price they charge to run their advertising platforms. Um, so in a convoluted way, yeah, you can save money by considering other media vendors that are not Google, Facebook, and Amazon. 
Interesting. So it sounds like the, the two major drivers that are going to take people to the behemoths, uh, you know, to the Googles and Facebooks and, and Amazons of the world to advertise. Um, and I'd even say mo- mainly, you know, Google and Facebook in comparison, um, you know, and, and Amazon for those that are selling on Amazon. But it sounds like number one is cost that you can get started real small um, with a lot of these platforms. Number two, I'm going to go out on a limb and I'm going to say, uh, based on things that you've said already, uh, ease of integration that you can go, you can uh, sign up yourself, add a tracking uh, script and, you know, uh, and you're off to the races um, mm-hmm. where there might be some additional steps to get at least initially set up with some of these, uh, some of these other networks. Yeah, it, it's actually it's what you would call in the industry a, a self-serve model or a managed service model. And um, what Google uh, and Facebook have really done a very good job of is made it incredibly easy via their self-serve model. You sign up, you prove that you're a business, and you go. Um, you don't even need to sub- submit a tax number in uh, 90 of 140 recognized countries on Google. So it's like you can actually just say, I'm a business advertiser. Um, for managed service models that are these oftentimes a salesperson or account manager for these media vendors. And these could be, um, you know, mommy blog publications, you know, scary mommy or, or daddy's digest. And they have a salesperson that says, Hey, this is our inventory. And this is how we talk to our audience. Um, it's a minimum uh, spend to start advertising with us that covers us managing your campaign, us setting up either a UTM or a, or a pixel that will then automatically fire that your ad is shown and maybe someone has clicked on and engaged with it or sent you back information to your data infrastructure. So there's a benefit to an e-com brand that has a more robust uh, data infrastructure. But the other one is there's research that these uh, salespeople have on the audience type that they're selling that might be super beneficial to you as an e-com brand when you're actually just trying to figure out who your primary customer is. Like that's kind of the other thing. It's not just a keyword searcher in Google, or it's not just audience cohorts in Facebook where you're like, oh, they, they're part of these groups and they like these things. It's, oh, like it is new, new, uh, newer expecting mothers in this app that go to this um, uh, like chat forum to like talk about all their problems with other moms. And then they all recommend like, oh, you need like, you need the, 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 the diaper dropper thing, the diaper genie or something like that. And there's like, a huge push for that. One of them might have an affiliate code because they work with Diaper Genius of Capacity. But ultimately, that's where you're learning what your audience is doing. And you're actually learning, oh, like, these are the problems that they have. I should be selling to them because, like, you know, my my puke blanket over the shoulder is, like, super soft and easy to clean. Like, boom, that's I got to sell to those mothers. That's just, like, a, a classic audience discovery experiment that e-com brands can actually learn from these people trying to sell them ad inventory. And believe you me, it is so much in the interest of these media vendors to make sure that their audiences are scrubbed, accurate, and they're giving you accurate numbers because ultimately you're going to be able to falsify all the data they send you and say, oh, like this was all either bot traffic. Or like, oh, you can't. Uh, you're like, you sent me a bunch of garbage. Like, I'm never going to work with you again. They really don't want that to happen. So, no, that's well, the, at that the point, point, they're not going to be in business very long. And, exactly. you know, networks, I'm sure, like yours, you know, that, that uh, folks that, that help along the way. Um, whether managed service providers or platforms, they don't want to keep hearing those kind of complaints. It's sort of like I imagine being an Amazon seller that if everybody's complaining, Amazon has no interest in you. Uh, they, they don't want you selling anymore. Yeah, uh, not not worth uh, not worth their efforts. So, 
talk to me about size because I know a lot of these things are relative. Um, how big do you need to be to be looking at some of these alternative uh, types of, of advertising channels, whether it be video streaming or podcasts or point of care in doctors' offices? Or uh, is it open to SMBs? Is is it really more mid size that this stuff's going to be applicable to just based upon entry levels and uh, things of that nature? Uh, it's you know I, I can't I can't ever classify media in like a, a true uh, set of binaries where like oh like as small small businesses shouldn't do this uh, and medium sized enterprises should do this. Uh, what I think is for uh, for SMBs that have a key have a key audience that are growing and they're like oh we need to what is effectively we need to double down on getting in front of this audience because audience discovery of a brand um, is incredibly tough. It's up to, and it's predicated on the notion of like if they hear about us, they might be more incentivized to buy when they hear about us again, or then they hear that there's a deal on. Um, Harvard, or sorry, uh, University of Chicago study out of like 2003, 2010, and then 2016 on this, where they're like, oh, if you need to increase brand awareness, you know, repetition frequency uh, of a given audience might be the way to do it. It might also really infuriate them. So there's like the six and one half dozen together. But ultimately, as a as an SMB, you are going to be doing a bunch of small your audience discovery if you don't know who your key customer is, and you might say, "Oh, like I, it's I don't have the cash flow to do an upfront purchase of of advertising on uh, on an, on a platform where I'm pretty sure my audience is. Maybe I can cut a deal with them. Like that's where there's always uh, there's an infinite amount of negotiating power with media vendors when you come at them with like, "Hey, I'm looking to scale." my advertising spend as it delivers me customers. Can we talk? They might be open to you. They might give you a more self-serve model. Got inventory to give up. You know, what does it hurt them to have a proof of concept with you in, in order to get the the flow going that I could imagine that. I've seen that in real practice. So yeah. The the thing you don't get with Google and Facebook is that you have a a, a rigid, algorithmically defined second price auction that is based on bid and relevancy of you to to that consumer at the time, which your relevancy score may be higher, but your bid might be lower and then you might not win that eyeball at that given time. A media vendor who has, is representing their inventory, who speaks directly to them, might look at your brand and say, yeah, let's talk. I think your brand you know, might actually work on our platform. And it's the difference between you saying, ah, well, my brand is cigarettes, you know, then they're going to be like, oh, we're probably not going to put you on our mommy blog. Like there's just, there's a level of, and there's automated services to do that in these larger uh, algorithm platforms. But, you know, the media vendor check of saying this, like, yeah, I think this might be able to work with our audience. They're incentivized to take a second pass at it and say, like, I'm not sure if this will work. We can start small. We can do experimental spends. Um, that, that's where uh, a media seller might just say, like, yeah, like, I, I could probably go like this low. This, you know, covers me talking to you. This covers my inventory cost. And we can start small in like either these three sections of our website or like just this section of our newsletter uh, and then see if that works and see if there's any audience engagement there. there there's where you're experimenting. I'm pretty sure, though, that th- there's got to be like a 1950s mom blog, you know, maybe a madman kind of a theme where they'll allow that kind of smoking out. I'm pretty sure. I just I haven't verified, but. Uh, <laughs> Scotch cigars and Oshkosh bagash. Like, that's that'll be the next one. Yeah. I could see people showing up for that party. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Gotta love the corduroy. The world is an interesting place. Yeah. <laughs> so, 
you know, we've touched on on a few facets here. Tell me a little bit about onboarding, because I know that, um, you know, both the onboarding and, and the maintenance, when you're talking about some of these platforms, they're, they're, you know, even, you know, the Googles of the world, they're not meant to be completely set it and forget it. You do want to go in there, freshen things up, uh, adjust around the data that's coming in. You know, you want to add negative keywords as you see things that have low relevancy and, and that don't convert well. Um, you want to do all sorts of things ongoing. But, you know, a lot of organizations, they've built that into their staffing or their uh, or, or their marketing departments or what have you, that they, they've sorted that out, you know, the same with um, other channels, their email marketing and social media posting and, you know, organic SEO and other things. But is this something that takes a full-time person to manage? Is this something that um, that people can kind of get started with and, and test the waters with, with maybe something more fractional? And is it akin to some of these other platforms or does it really take a lot of training and know-how to be able to sort through this? Um, is there a, are there a lot of moving parts and, and a lot to digest to do it right? There, so there, there, there very well can be. It all, it's, it's a weird, um, almost like a weird uh, spectrum where you can get, uh, you can get uh, DSPs that are um, self-service DS, uh, demand-side platforms where you can go and buy programmatic advertising inventory across a multitude of different uh, supply side sources, which just means publishers that show ads to people. You can go and do that. It could be an app, could be on websites. Um, and you can do that with minimal upfront cost and probably usually a contractual guarantee that you're going to um, commit to a minimum spend of X dollars per month. Sometimes it's, I've seen this go as low as like, you know, 200 bucks a month for very, very kind of like fledgling DSPs. We're like, we want a ton of customers, so please come on and use our inventory or come and buy from our inventory. And then their tech buys the inventory that you're looking for programmatically by basically participating in these, or what we call these auctional bids. You're saying, I'm going to spend $100 every month. It programmatically might only get me like two customers, but my expectation is that they're very high value customers. And if they are not, then I need to either increase my expenditure or I need to look for a different uh, audience type or audience source. Um, that's where small small e-com brands can start to participate. It's not as recommended because it is there is a little bit of a learning curve in understanding how um, how media dollar gets to audience eyeball. There is a there's many uh, there could be many ad tech players and how you're 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 trying to reach that audience type. Um, but what I can recommend is that. For medium-sized businesses, they're usually ready to either bring on a person in-house or hire a media agency who is then going to take their audience information and go out and participate in media buying for them because they have enough media dollars under their roof to participate in larger minimum spends for larger ad tech platforms. Um, and this is ultimately if you know if a media agency has 10 clients and they all spend $100,000, well, they can start participating in million-dollar ad tech platforms. That's just that's just the math because they have the, the price of the, the volume. Um, for mid-size, small and mid-size uh, e-com brands, they're like, oh, maybe I don't want to pay someone to go do this for me. I don't want to do it myself. Then look for what I would call as close to origin point of audience as you can get. And sometimes that is like a community newsletter. Sometimes that is... Uh, Figure out who your audience, knowing your audience well enough 
that you know the cheapest place where you can put something in front of them. Um, and that can be uh, th- that can be like uh, a geofenced ad whenever they are going to uh, the farmer's market. And you're like, sweet, whenever we're in the farmer's market, we have a geofenced ad and it's going to serve on participating websites that might be pertinent to any of these vendors or it'll show up on the receipt of any of these vendors uh, if they get a digital receipt. And then I know my ad will get to those people. It's a pretty cheap, cost-effective way to make sure that my ad serves to anybody who's at that farmer's market because I sell the nicest tote bags ever. They're great for farmer's market buyers. Like that's That takes a level of audience understanding for you to go out and find cheaper ways to get in front of your audience. Lack of audience understanding increases cost of trying to reach your audience. That, and that's where you, there's some level of inventiveness or imagination that you have to employ in media strategy because there are so many ways to get to me as me as a buyer, uh, as a consumer of both the B2B and the B2C space. So you can, you can get to me very cheaply. You just got to figure out where that is. You know, I, I, I still read the newspaper once a month. Um, I, uh, I, I subscribe to The Economist. So you can do an Economist magazine buy to try to reach me. Uh, I sometimes watch the odd game streamer. It's a video game I'm never going to play. And that could be a very, if you see a game streamer and they say your brand and I'm the right customer, I'm like, oh, I've never heard of that before. I might just check it out. That's, that's how you can be inventive with your media strategy to find cheap inventory to then save on your budget when you're going to buy uh, ad space to get in front of the right people, which, again, a little bit of experimentation and a lot of bit of seeing, I'm pretty sure this is our audience. This is where I need to be. Interesting. And you, know, you talked earlier a little bit about some of the tracking capabilities and the amount of the wealth of data. Uh, that's available through some of the these advertising uh, opportunities. What is the tracking like in terms of you know if you're an e-commerce brand, so you've got you know different tracking cookies and things, some of which are are going way over Too time, away. becoming yeah. less effective. Yeah, um, you know you've got different mechanisms for tracking. How are most of of these sorts of buys being tracked? And is it intensive to set up? Is it, you know, is it pretty similar to to other tracking mechanisms that they're already using for for you know for Google and Facebook and other platforms? Uh, so some it can be sometimes it's a floodlight tag that's integrated on your site from the vendor themselves when they know that, uh, which is basically like a, like a piece of code passed back via JavaScript. So. You know, let's say an email newsletter sign up occurs, they pass back that sign up to your database as well. The first party data piece, so it's actually not third party cookie involved at all. And you're saying, sweet, we captured that email for it went into our list. They said, they want to hear more about you. You can actually re-engage them now. Uh, if it's a visual ad, let's say it's a native ad, uh, a native ad gets shown. Um, you're reading through a news feed of something or maybe like how to you know get that Xbox achievement. Ad shows up, that's a little native ad. And right before you're getting to the rest of the information on how to get that Xbox achievement, you're seeing this native ad. And if you engage with that native ad at all, at all you can get a uh, passback on it that gets either sent to you via, uh, it could be, again, more JavaScript code that's like, this is their their person that they put this ad in front of, that then they're going to show on their report. And then they can do what's called basically a report merge with yours saying, did they actually go to your site? Uh, did you see an uptick in traffic? Um, with a lot of privacy regulation, there's no longer, 
you don't want any fingerprinting. So you might just say like, hey, you ran this ad at this time uh, or you ran this ad during these periods of time. And we saw this many upticks in people engaging with the ad on our site. Did you see an increase in your traffic on your site engagement during this ad period or even, you know, your sales cycle? be a month down the road and then you what you just basically do what's an old an old print term called mail merging basically just do a database merge you say hey like did your traffic increase when our traffic was engaging with ad units or engaging with this content because uh, that could that's the correlative effect between you saying uh hey this uh point a led to point b to point c which is a lot of uh, behavioral tracking that's probably not going to go around be and be available anymore, um, or with direct vendor buys, they just do a direct passback of what is happening with your ad units, and they say this happened on our site. Here's what we saw. Here's the proof. We think ninety percent is humans, ten percent is bots, and they submit a report to you. That's what you get when you get like a direct vendor buy. They have like they're again incentivized to show you actual data that they're saying this all happened. What happened on your end, and then you kind of compare notes that way through programmatic buys. You're kind of hampered by many different um, uh, what, what is effectively good and or bad actors in any of the inventory that you're buying. And by and that's a very convoluted way of saying um, for every one website that you know of, there's 2,500 that are either direct mirrors or just fraudulent mirrors of that website or something similar. And... Ads can serve on those websites if they pass search engine clearance checks, if they pass a certain level of, oh, this is real, um, like real inventory uh, kind of clearances. And if you buy something programmatically, your ads might end up on a site that technically has traffic, but that traffic is all bots. So it's almost like you're incentivized to sometimes not go by programmatic so that you can actually buy inventory that is from directly from the vendor. And they say, yeah, this is our inventory and we serve it up and we we let you know if a human engage with it or if a bot engage with it. Because um, they're, and again, this is how convoluted the advertising industry can be. Uh, in, a, in the programmatic supply chain, you might see website and you as the buyer, and then what is effectively just a bidder in the middle. But there might be 30 to 40 actors in the middle of that happening um, that you'll never know and you'll never see because you're not tracking it. Uh, you're only tracking if your ad fired and someone engaged with it. That's, that's, the, that's the problem with the digital industry. I mean, you've got privacy laws over here. You've got bots over there. You've got browser extensions and things that that are blocking <laughs> ads from showing all together yeah. uh, that are being used by the end users. You've got yours. Uh, there's a <laughs> there's a lot. Well, well, yeah. Okay. It's it's yeah. almost like you know every everyone for themselves like capture the flag. <laughs> You're just being tackled left and right. Like and and this is um, this is where you know to further answer your question of can a small business get into this I, and I very much say like yeah like you can as long as you understand that no no industry worth more than hundred million dollars is a simple industry like their supply chain exists in all uh, in all large economic powerhouse industries advertising is no different there is a very uh, there's an incumbent supply chain, there is the new supply chain, and then there is the many, many actors that, are, that occur in that supply chain to not just serve your ad, but track it, to verify if it's fraud, to take a cut, to uh, to make sure your ad gets from point A to point B. And this is where it just, so long as you approach it with that understanding, you can find cheap inventory. 
And that inventory may not be in the form of, and this is sorry, and this is talking about media buying as the almost like how you're going to purchase and buy it. We are still talking about like a line of text showing up to somebody, or an image showing up to somebody, or a video showing up to somebody. Like that, we are still talking about like actual content that's going to put get in front of somebody. Um, and that's that's actually kind of like the other thirty percent of what we would say the the, the purchasing battle is. Seventy percent of your cost is going to be your media buy. Thirty percent should be on your your creative or like how you're talking to the people that you want to talk to, because you still need to like be a human talking to humans at the end of the day. And that's that's like good advertising. A lot of the time is good creative, but if nobody sees your creative, then was it good advertising or was it just the thing you did at the office? Tree falls in the forest. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, are there occasions where you see? folks that are going to be tracking um, using means that that maybe are, are harder for bots or others to, to infiltrate. So, you know, I, and I imagine in some cases they almost have to. So if you're advertising on a TV screen at point of care or, you know, some kind of kiosk or something at point of care, um, there's no click through directly, I, I'd imagine in most cases. So at that point, you could show a QR code, you can put a unique URL, you can put a coupon code, but those things are all going to be very trackable in terms mm-hmm. of what uptick they brought. You're going to know exactly what you, how many users you got and how many sales you got off of something like that yep. versus, um, you know, versus trying to track the clicks, which may or may not all be healthy traffic. Which, and, and there, uh, again, knowing your audience and knowing your media strategy, uh, Knowing why you're buying something is a great way to determine what kind of data you need to track for it, and then what you need to what how you define it as successful. And, and by that I mean, if you're just getting your name out there, you want to buy yeah, as many impressions as possible. Basically, you're just casting a very wide net because you're saying, okay, in three weeks' time, we're going to start our outbound strategy to reach a ton of people in these key industries. They haven't heard of us. So maybe we just do a massive ad campaign and make sure that people hear about us, which is not just a digital ad strategy. It might be a press release that you put into the news, and if it gets picked up, um, you know it'll hit, you know maybe two or three outlets that actually like you, unless it's like a really juicy story or something that mentions Elon Musk. Um, but all, at least the press release itself will also get backlinked to forty different local news outlets across the United States. You know, spend like sixty bucks. It doesn't really do anything for you, but it gives you backlink authority. Uh, that's just one piece of your digital strategy, which is just like, okay, we're going to cast a wide net and buy a ton of um, of display ads. Could be uh, video integrated or rich media, something that's kind of cool and moving, or or uh, or video on like all of the um, all of the auto mechanic Bimmer. Like we're going to all of the auto like blogs out there that are talking about new cars and vehicles. Car people are like very very unique in that way, where they go and they talk. And we're about to release a new vehicle, you know, to Eastern United States. We need to go to those forums, make sure that we buy all the ad space. And they're like, this thing is coming. The vehicle's about to be released, create initial hype. And then when we start getting our salespeople say, hey, this vehicle's now on the lot, we're trying to incentivize people who've heard about this thing coming to then go and make the conversion of the thing that is about to hit the ground. Um, that That's just a buying mass impressions that you didn't really track. but You're just like, I need a ton of people to see this. And it will show, it'll prove out in the post post ad buy or even during the ad buy when inventory hits the ground and then people start converting. And we say, did our awareness campaign convert? That's just awareness. 
You have other things like performance marketing, affiliate marketing, influencer-based marketing, which are all kind of iterations of performance. And those only work with highly digital integrated uh, products or services that can be tracked one-to-one. And by that, I mean, I we're releasing a SaaS. Actually, it's a great example. I can give you a business use case. So we're, we have briefed and we're going to release a SaaS called Decklinks. It's a it's it's Google Analytics for sales tax, and we're going to release it to a bunch of uh, salespeople, and they're going to be early adopters. And we're going to look at okay, we need a strategy for either performance, affiliate, or influencer. Now, new product has generated revenue yet. I need to look at okay, what influencers are currently talking to the people that we need to talk to, and we can still get a cheap, effectively cost effective way to get them to talk about our product, which is a sponsorship buy. You buy the person talking about it. it. Almost works like radio. You're like, hey, can you talk about our product for like 10 seconds? Let us let the people know we sponsored this show. Yes, awesome, cool. More people hear about us. That's what I need first. Affiliates, first users. I say, cool. Here's an affiliate code. If you get five people to sign up, six months for free, or something to that effect. If you uh, banking apps do this all the time. If you go and get one other person to deposit 50 bucks, we will give you 25. Because the cost of new user acquisition for that banking app is way higher than the cost of nurturing people that are already in. That's way easier for them. Uh, usually the tune of like 70 to 100 to 1. Um, and then the other one being performance marketing. Cost per acquisition. Cost per event. Cost per lead sometimes. Cost per event is popular in app marketing when you're saying, if they, I've Candy Crush. Uh, if they go in and they complete the first three levels of Candy Crush, we will pay you 15 bucks. You just have to talk about Candy Crush and its new saga, as it were. And they know after that third level, their users are addicted. They're, they'll, take, they'll take the reins from there. That's how a cost per event advertising model, which usually takes, excuse me, a very low cost to set up because you're actually talking to some sort of digitally integrated video game influencer or um, tech blogger or even someone who talks about courses. You're saying, hey, your affiliate code directly fires to a sign up in the app and on their phone. And we know it came from you. And then when they sign up and they complete level three, we can track that user themselves. And then you'll get your 50 bucks as a, as a cost, like performance based. So it's you get paid based on performance, almost like commission on sales. It's like a very, very simple model that way. Difficult to find the right performance marketer. But if you can find one that has is talking to your audience, or if you can find the right, maybe it's an app promoting another app. Oh, like food apps promoting bicycle repair. No, no idea. But it's a bicycle repair app. You know, it's your delivery people might get served in that. And they're like, oh, yeah, I need to repair my bike. Like I'm delivering all this food. Um, that is just a one way that app can talk to app. Desktop can talk to app. Mobile can talk to app. Um, these are many different ways that you as the SMB Ecom brand can say, all right, in the course of a customer going to buy our product, what is the ecosystem of variables that exist around them in the day of the, in a day in their life? And then how do we talk to them at any given point in the day in their life? Because that again goes back to better understanding your customer and your audience. You know, I, I almost want to ask you for the equivalent of stock picks that, you know, like what what you know. Where should be people be looking to advertise, you know, if they aren't already, you know, what's what's a good entry point? What's, you know, what's good out there? But it sounds like there's so much diversity based on, you know, who you're trying to reach that 
it would be hard to come up with one place or one network because the whole point is that you're going direct. And we're not just talking about a huge network. We're talking about individual publishers, individual you know, websites and, and podcasts and other things. And so it really depends on, uh, on both you know, who you're trying to reach and with what kind of message are you trying to build brand awareness? Are you trying to get them to convert through, as you said, you know, some kind of influencer or affiliate uh, that it's really going to be hypersensitive to the details? Oh, that's where the uh, devil usually is. Usually, and I, and to not shamelessly self promote, but actually, that is what Briefbit does for free on both sides because this is blocked. So we built our algorithm to take a buyer RFP or request for proposal, basically, a, show me something I know or don't know. And then our algorithm takes all the variables from that RFP and it matches it to vendors that are capable of at least answering that proposal. Those vendors might have very, very varied inventory. Uh, depending on the channel you're trying to target, you might you might be saying, "I want digital out of home and digital audio," and you might get a couple of vendors saying, "Like, why do you want digital out of home and digital audio?" And you're going to say, "Like, well, you know, again, back to the gym example. Like, we're going to advertise in gyms, and then we're going to play over workout playlists." Oh, that's a multi-channel advertising strategy. The workout playlist ad is going to play, and then if they see me in any of the gyms that we're in. I, I now have someone who has heard me and seen me multi-sensory as well as it is multi-channel. Okay, cool. Anytime I want to try and talk to the customer now, they're at least familiar with me on a visceral scale, if not at least. You know, they, they've heard of me, which is good. It's a great, way better to advertise to someone who's heard of you than someone who is not, unless there's a word-of-mouth hype machine behind you, much like you've seen with um, Midday Squares. Midday Squares is probably the best at, at, at hype machine. They are built a chocolate bar kind of empire around, I want a better chocolate bar. Simple. That's, that's awesome. Like they're like, I want it to be, I want it to taste good. I want to have vitamins. I want it to be awesome. And awesome, kind of part of their brand. They're ruthlessly authentic. They show, they show everything warts and all. Word of mouth hype machine. Just took it off. They barely spent anything on digital ads. I don't know them well, but I believe the chocolate's a vegetable. So uh, <laughs> you, you already had me a chocolate. And don't think I didn't see what you did there with the shameless plug. I, I noticed. <laughs> shameless plug. Shameless plug. That's what it was. No, um, no but it, it, it makes sense because as whether you're in e-commerce or whether you're in another sector, trying to go uh, publisher by publisher, website and by website, app by app, trying to negotiate deals, that it's way too cumbersome. Same thing with affiliate, that that's why most people go through some kind of historically affiliate network. And they were the early ones most of which have been gobbled up or, you know, are, are in there, I don't know, you know, fourth iteration or something by now. But uh, it makes a lot of sense to be able to try to go somewhere where you can take a lot of that time out of the equation of saying, this is what I'm looking for, who's got it, um, and, and vice versa, you know, being able to, to match up. So that really stands out for me, you know. Adam, you've been really generous with your time today. Uh, before we wrap up, any final thoughts, any, any pontifications or uh, anything that we, we didn't touch on today that you think would be really impactful for our listeners and viewers? Yeah, I mean, um, I think it, in any e-com brand we talk to on the platform, it's coming from a place of, well, I, they, they come at us with, I, I need to sell my product. And we're like, of course, con conversions are you know king or queen at that point um but 
the understanding of, of audience type, the understanding of who you're selling to, uh, and even the openness to, uh, to sell to someone that you might not think buy your product takes some level of experimentation, takes a, at least a little bit of research. And as the person, this is kind of empowering, as the person with dollars to spend on advertising, you actually have a little bit of leverage in the research phase of your audience discovery because you can go to media vendors and you can say, hey, I have X dollars uh, over the course of the next six months that I want to spend on advertising. Do you have an ad unit, an audience type that can fit my budget and who I need to talk to? If yes, please tell me more. If no, is it because my budget's too low or the audience is wrong? And this allows you to do a little bit of uh, confirmation of your expectation for your audience when you go out to salespeople and you say, hey, can you come and sell me a little bit? Um, but it also allows you to see what your next level of a scale up could be. When because some sellers are going to be like, I'm sorry, your minimum spend is too low. I can't, I can't give you any inventory on our 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 inventory is worth too much, effectively, or our inventory is worth more than you have to spend. But they might still give you the sales deck, and then I just like, this is how we target our our audience, and this is what our audience is composed of. And these are great things. These media kits from vendors. Our audience composed of like, oh, male, female splits. And these are our demographics. These are what, this is what they're talking about. Um, Clue is a kind of a cool one that's on vendor on our uh, platform. They do uh, social media sentiment and then they, they target ads to people based on social media sentiment. It's, they've built their algorithm in house, but um, they approach it again a little bit differently. And as the, as the e-com buyer, when I'm looking to, to maybe source a new audience, maybe conquest from my competitors or trying to just get my ads in front of people that I think will definitely buy my products. You got to have a little bit of fun with the experimentation. And the fun comes from like salespeople come and talk to me. I, I'm looking for something like I'm trying to figure this out. And at that point, you're a scientist, like you're, 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 you, you make up a hypothesis. You gotta, you know, you gotta try it out. You're, you're a, you're learning about the best possible thing for you. The person you're going to sell products to. And B, you're getting all this information that you might not have even known before that. You're kind of seeing how the industry works. And that's for me, that's, you know, curiosity for curiosity's sake can be very good for audience discovery. So that would be my 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 note to uh, any SME com brand out there. It's funny because I, I always just assumed that being a marketer, it was like the floor is lava and, you know, you're tiptoeing around. And if, if you miss, I mean, that's it. <laughs> you're melted. You're done for. No, uh, I, I, absolutely. I, I think um, that sometimes we overlook the fact that we learn a lot from not only success, but from failure and that we get back data and that we, hey, look, you know, that's not actually our, our target audience or, um, or there's some, something there that doesn't click that we didn't think about um, that we need to reformulate. I always love starting these kind of campaigns, small <laughs> testing, measuring. And as you said, you know, before you throw the big budget at it or, or before you, you get into the long-term commitment or whatever it may be, um, identifying uh, the winners and the losers in the campaigns themselves uh, and being able to fine-tune around it. Well, Adam, um, it was a pleasure having you on today. It was certainly a lot of fun. <laughs> um, we uh, will hope to have you again sometime soon. But uh, in the meantime, for our audience, as uh, always, thanks for tuning in. Stay safe, stay healthy, and we'll have more great content like this for you soon. Thanks for listening to the JetRails podcast. You can subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. 
We also post full videos of most episodes on the JetRails YouTube and Facebook channels. You can find links at jetrails.com forward slash podcast. Have questions about an episode? Is there a topic you'd like us to cover in the future? We're at JetRails on LinkedIn and Twitter. Do you want to sponsor this podcast? Sorry, but we're committed to ad-free listening. We are, however, always looking for guests that our listeners will benefit from. And don't forget to like the podcast on whatever platform you're tuning in from. It's a small ask, but it's a big help. We appreciate it, and more importantly, we appreciate you.